The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Medtronic. Medtronic is dedicated to the pursuit of life-transforming health tech. From AI to robotics and beyond, we're reinventing what's possible, and we're just getting started. Visit Medtronic.com to learn more. How has your emotional history affected the tension in your mind? Hey listeners, welcome to In the Arena. I'm Jackie Goldberg. And I'm Leah Smart. And today we are with Diego Perez, also known as Young Pueblo. We talked with Diego actually back in November and got to interview him about uh, his own journey and his first book, which was self-published in 2017 and then um, reissued again in 2018 called Inward. And Diego is coming out with a second book called Clarity and Connection that we cannot wait to talk to him about. Both books are just full of so much wisdom and also poetic and creative and beautiful and artistic. And so, Diego, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much, Leah and Jackie. It's nice to be here again. I feel like our last conversation was not too long ago. So it's nice getting to like regroup and huddle together again. Yeah. And it's such a privilege to have received your book before its publication dates coming out on April 27th, 2021. It will be in stores for you to buy and order online, but just amazing to kind of continue this journey with you. Uh, Leah and I absolutely loved this book. I mean, we loved Inward and just to be able to read the second piece from you and going a little bit deeper on some of these topics, uh, really just walked away with a ton of knowledge, a ton of inspiration, um, especially as it relates to relationships, which I'm excited. We're, we're excited to talk to you about. But, you know, just to kick us off, like curious, what felt different for you when writing in Word versus Clarity and Connection? He, as soon as I started, I felt like I was in a really different place. You know, I started Clarity and Connection pretty soon after Inward was re-released, you know, this for the, the second edition when it was in bookstores. But when that, that first series, when I first started writing, because like Inward has pieces from like 2015, 2016, like things that I wrote when I was really just first starting off. And it's really like a compilation of all the best stuff that I created from, I think like 2014 to 2017. And then Clarity and Connection is basically the best stuff that I've written since 2018 to now, and also with a bunch of new things that I've never released. So what I noticed immediately off the bat was that I wasn't writing in as a minimalistic format as I originally was. Like the pieces, I was like giving me a, giving myself a lot of freedom to just write a little more, to say a little more. If I really wanted to do justice to the topics that I wanted to write about, I needed to just allow myself the freedom to more deeply go into them. And it came out, you know, when the book was done, I was like, okay, this book is like almost twice the size of inward in terms of like word count. So I was like, well, I hope, you know, the readers are ready for something that's a little different because um, this is this book isn't quite as lean as as inward. 
Well, it's interesting because uh, if, if you haven't read Inward or seen it, it's already a very thin book, by the way. So it's, <laughs> we're not talking about like huge, huge books, but uh, it's incredibly poetic. And the way it's structured is, you know, short spurts of, of really meaningful, powerful words. And then in this one, followed by um, some deep stuff. So I, I, I kind of equated Inward to it felt like just a breeze through the book. And this one felt like I was diving into the ocean. Like every time I was going in, I was like, I got to dive in. I'm going to come up for air, dive in, come up for air <laughs> in all the right ways. Uh, but, but yeah, it, it felt, it definitely felt different, Diego. And it's kind of cool to be able to see your journey, like the progression of your journey. And some of the topics you focused on in this one were not as present, if at all present and inward in the same way. Yeah, it felt like a really big um, shift because inward was just focused on the individual, just like your personal transformation. And I was trying to just help people like develop a new kind of framework to see themselves inside of as they were going through their personal transformation journey um, with inward. But then clarity and connection was like, what happens after you go inward? You know, when you literally go in, you spend time being introspective, you start changing pretty radically. So for a lot of us, including myself and just, you know, people around me that have gone through their own journeys, like, well, you know, you come out with a lot more clarity and then automatically, very naturally, your connections get deeper with your friends, with your family members, with, you know, an intimate relationships. So I wanted to just talk about what happens after. Mm-hmm. And even the the hardships that come with growing, right? How you continue, how transformation doesn't end. You continue to face this tension within yourself. And how do you then face off to that once you've taken these leaps and bounds, right? And you talk Mm -hmm. about the home. It's so great. Can you maybe take us through a little bit about the arc of the book? Because you have five chapters titled, you know, different things. We'd love to kind of hear what was your thought process around that narrative and taking us from self-awareness to a new life? Yeah, I really wanted to once again, start with like the reality of life, which is like just honoring the fact that you're building self-awareness, but at the same time, like tons of tough things are happening. If you're trying to find like a good partner or a good friend, sometimes it doesn't work out and you end up with heartbreak and also realizing that you can build self-awareness, but then have those moments of difficulty where where you're you're aware of your new patterns, but you're still in the midst of transforming that pattern. And so kind of getting caught up in that cycle. So self-awareness was just like, I wanted to make it that like humble grounding where it's like, okay, like we're here, we're trying to do the work and it is hard. And what happens next, right? Yeah. And having conversations about like self-awareness, self-discovery and all these things, um, it really is simple, but not easy. And that's kind of the reason so many people opt out of a journey of self-discovery and development is it's not easy. And sometimes you take 10 steps forward and like 30 steps back. And that was part of your your first section that we really wanted to talk about is around what you call self-awareness and then unbinding. And you yeah. focus a lot on the subconscious mind, which is super interesting. And maybe just for people who aren't as familiar with, with that, can you share a little bit about what the subconscious mind is and why it's so important for us in our own journeys? Yeah. So the framework that I'm really kind of building off of and that I've, you know, that's helped me understand the subconscious mind is really through meditation. It becomes really clear that every time you react, you're basically creating an imprint on your mind. And that imprint is then 
predisposing you to feeling the same things again, having the same behaviors, going through the same emotions, getting caught, in, getting caught up in similar cycles. So if you were reacting in a particular way in the past, you're basically much more likely to not only see the present through the lens of the past, but act in a way where you're constantly repeating the past over and over again. And you do this very unconsciously. So a lot of the healing, like I try to point to the fact that like healing happens through your ability to feel and it also happens through your ability to just understand and like find some sort of technique that can help unpack and release all that density that's in the subconscious because we don't quite realize that the conscious part of the mind is, is very thin. You know, it's like a very thin layer and the subconscious is just massive. That's where everything is accumulated. So the same way that we can accumulate things, we can also let them go. And one thing that I've tried to make really clear as soon as the book starts, you know, there are a lot of different ways to let go. So it's just really important for people to find their a method or a practice, something that is going to help them take the steps forward that they need to live a better life, whether that's through one-on-one -on -one therapy, through a very light form of meditation, a more serious form of meditation, or through whatever type of healing technique that actually brings them real results. Because I don't want to be like, oh, this is how you let go, because it's actually a very personal individualized case-by-case -case type of situation because your emotional history is very different from my emotional history. So the way that I'm going to navigate my internal atmosphere is going to be different from the way that you do it. But what's really special about the world that we live in today is that there are just so many different ways to go inward depending on how deep you want to go. So, yeah. What you do beautifully is remove any dogmatic kind of need to, you have to meditate or you have to do yeah, this, right? Yeah. In order to live a great life. And I think that's what pushes people away from a journey like this is feeling like there is a prescribed thing that you need to do. And if you're not doing it, then you're not in this space, right? You're not, yeah. you're not doing the healing work, right? And I think that's part of, you know, when you think about the inward journey, it really is, it's a mental and spiritual journey. And part of, you know, what you're talking about that really got to me and, and uh, touched me is that I'm someone who believes that we can all find different ways to access our own development and growth, whether that be spiritual or personal. And so I think in the millennial generation, particularly, we don't, a lot of us don't want the same dogma that religion has brought in the past, or maybe some that we've experienced like divinity scars we've had. And what you're doing is essentially saying, don't worry about that. You know, pick what works for you and create your own recipe of what works because who really cares which one you're, which thing you're following and what you're doing. If it's working, yeah, it's great. Exactly. At the end of the day, I think what matters to me is that you're ultimately happier and freer and that you're causing yourself less harm and thus causing, you know, harm to other people. So if you can increase your self love and you can increase your self awareness, then that's going to seriously decrease your likelihood of causing other people intentional or unintentional forms of harm. And then that's, that's what matters. What you want to believe, you know, have fun, like enjoy. There's tons of things that you can believe in, but we're talking about real life things like how's your anxiety? How's your sadness? How's your happiness? How's your awareness? What's your reaction level? Are you able to, you know, make these slight improvements? And I wanted to really avoid any type of like guide format, you know, because there's so many guides out there. And, you know, trust me, there a bunch of them are really helpful. But what I wanted to do was just reflect on what it is to be human, what it is to be a human being moving through a transformational process. And even if 
you know, we don't meditate the same technique or, you know, you do therapy and I meditate, there are still going to be commonalities and struggles that we're all going to cross as we're going into like deeper thresholds of more self-awareness and more love for ourselves and, you know, all that good stuff that we're trying to really cultivate in our minds and lives. Yeah. And one thing you do extremely well in the book is really open it up and give space to people to understand that you don't need to pause your life or stop your life Mm -hmm. to heal, right? You heal while you are living your life and the importance of presence. And I just want to read one quote on page 75 for our, our readers. So it says, throw away the idea that you need to pause your life until you are fully healed. This is a different way of being attached to perfection. Progress happens when you make better decisions in the midst of living. You can simultaneously heal your past while being open to the present. So beautiful. Yeah, I think I, you know, I'm just learning that from personal experience. Like I remember back in, I think like 2017, there were a lot of kind of memes and ideas about like going deep into solitude and not or not engaging in any, any real deep like relationships because I need to heal myself and I need to do X, Y, and Z, which is all well and good. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. It's, it's valuable to take time for yourself. But at the same time, like, you know, for some people, especially if they've experienced very serious trauma, like healing could be a lifelong journey. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do? You're going to pause your life for the rest of your life. You know, it's important to just really accept the fact that the way that you can measure your healing is like, how are you dealing with difficult situations? Like, how are you dealing with the ups and downs of life? So if you allow yourself to fully embrace life, then you can better see like, oh, I'm not quite as reactive as I used to be in these tough moments. And that's actually like a real sign of growth. And just to allow like, you know, the organic connections that come along the way, you know, allow them to flourish and be a part of them because waiting for this like special moment, it's just another form of attachment, you know, just, yeah. just live your life and keep growing. There's this idea of, of being ready-made, right? And I think that comes a lot with our culture and our society. Yeah. It's like, I need to be perfect in order to, uh, yeah. or when I get here, I will be enough. And mm-hmm. it's something I think all of us fall victim to. But I, I wrote that next to that quote that Jackie just shared, because I'm like, oh my gosh, this is me. Like, you know, I can't, <laughs> how many times have I said to myself, like, oh, I, I can't do that until, right? Until, uh, yeah. And so this like idea of like getting into solitude, being alone, like, you know, traipsing, you know, across, across, the like savannah by yourself until you're all healed and you can show back up in society is not a real thing. It's so I love that you sort of you bring us back to this point of we've got to we've we still have to be in the world and in fact it's a gift to be in the world and we're going to screw it up along the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a, there's a beauty in your roughness and just accept that. You know, you can continue like just honing yourself and you know developing the things that you really want to develop, but there's no need to pause life. Just keep it going. And even taking this a step further, I mean, you mentioned just the importance of connection. I mean, life is all about relationships, right? We don't live in solitude. We are constantly interacting with others. And actually, connection is one of the things that we need most as human beings. So to be able to work on yourself and heal yourself while in relation with someone else is something you really focus on in this book. The third part is called the love between us, which is really around relationships and partnerships. And a huge focus is finding someone who can give you the space to do your own healing and your own inner growth. And equally as important is that they're doing their own inner growth as well. Do you want to talk a little bit about this section? Because this was a really 
impactful section in terms of Leah and I were even like, wow, he has so much knowledge on relationships. (laughs) Like, I feel like I can read this and this is like my Bible to having a good relationship. But can you just talk to us a little bit about it? Yeah, it's funny. I've been using that um, key, like, you know, find someone who, and it's always like, it's like a, a signal for yourself because it's totally proper to look for solid qualities in another individual. But at the same time, well, my real hope of those pieces, because there's only, I think there's like four or five of them in the love between us that start with like, find someone who, but the, the real hope of those pieces are that you're able to build that same person within yourself so that you can mirror, you know, like actually give those same supportive qualities to another individual, because that's the only way it's really going to work. But I wanted to really focus on like, like what you said, it's so important to realize that if we're going to have a beautiful, long lasting relationship, I need to be able to realize that there's still stuff inside of me that I'm carrying that could hinder that. And similarly, I hope that my partner also realizes the same thing that you know, they have things that they've accumulated moments of intense emotion that has impacted their subconscious that that it's something being held between them that they could potentially let go of. And when we both seek to build inner harmony, that inner harmony is going to radiate into our relationship. And it's going to be able to just feed the both of us. And we're going to be much more capable of finding some sort of middle ground. That's why self-awareness was such a foundational chapter because it's through your individual self-awarenesses that you're able to just stop a lot of the unnecessary arguments because sometimes because we don't see ourselves we then start pointing fingers and we're like oh it's you you did this you know without realizing that like oh actually this anger or this tension or this agitation came from a previous moment in earlier in my day but now my mind is just trying to figure out how can i make this your fault and when you build self-awareness you stop a lot of those, you know, fake stories that just trying to run away with your mind. You made me think about like, I, I recently moved. And as I was moving, I lost something. And I immediately had been movers in my house. And I immediately went to blaming them. I'm like, one of them took it. You know, it had to be them, right? It couldn't be me, right? It could never be me that did this. And then what do you know, I found it in a box that I'd put in like put kitchen stuff in and closed and was going to go into storage. So I was laughing at myself and also going, okay, this is my moment of blame. But I want to go back, Diego, to becoming the kind of person you want to be with, whether that be friendship or, uh, you know, intimate relationships. One of the things I noticed for myself is oftentimes in a friendship or in, in a romantic relationship, if there's something that I'm resisting, it's an area of myself that needs healing. So for example, I have a really good friend who, when I first met her, she was super affectionate. She'd always like hug me or touch or whatever. (laughs) And I didn't grow up with like that, you know, that kind of experience. And it was something that I wanted to be though. It was something I wanted to be able to embody to like hug people and to, you know, do these things, but I would resist it. And so when she first, like when we we were first getting to know each other and she would like touch me on the arm or whatever, I was like, what's going on here? You know, it's almost like, <laughs> jumped. And and now that's so different, you know, a few years later, but it was without having self-awareness, I would have just thought, oh, I'm uncomfortable. The reality is I, this is something I want to embody that I don't have. And this person has it. So how do I step into the resistance with kind of an openness to what needs to be healed? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I think it's pretty case by case, but understanding that Oftentimes those moments where we feel that tension, like there is, this is a potential point of learning and there's also a potential point of unbinding. But 
this is one of the reasons why I try to really hit at the fact that people grow at different paces. And that's something that we need to honor in our friendships and our relationships. A lot of times we automatically want the other person to be just like us. And this is such an unconscious, pretty consistent trait amongst human beings where it's like, I like you because you're pretty, you know, you may be different, but we still have similar views. And those views make the both of us comfortable. And then we can like move along and get along. But really trying to understand that like, you know, and this is something that I find in my own relationship often is like my wife and I, we just grow at different speeds, like, and we're both actively cultivating very different things. And we're both actively letting go of very different things that have not too much to do with each other. They're more like in relation to our own childhoods. But I think the the key recipe is like patience and acceptance, and then just trying again, trying again and again, and having those little like small promises to yourself, like, you know, I'm going to try again to do this difficult thing and just maintaining that momentum can help, you know, cultivate that new habit of flourishing in whatever way that you really want to develop in. But it just, it takes time and just move at your own pace is my my advice. Mm -hmm. You know, I get this question a lot from my coaching clients who are working towards their own transformation and seeing progress and feeling like they're seeing results and their self-awareness is building. And so when they're now interacting with people in their lives that maybe aren't doing inner growth or transformation at the pace, let's say that they are, or maybe not at all, this is a question I get. How do I get other people to do the work, right? (laughs) Like, how do I inspire or, you know, show people? And I'm really curious what your, your thoughts are on that. I think in those moments, we need to cultivate humility. It's almost like a little tough to say, but... This is a moment for compassion because at the end of the day, the ego is very tricky. And because you struck on something that does make the ego lighter, then you're going to want to see that thing spread. And you don't want to catch yourself in a situation where you're still trying to control. You know, you're still trying to control like the external situation around you or how people are making their decisions or what they're deciding to do. Because at the end of the day, it's, you know, Lao Tzu said it best, like, what what can I do? I can change myself. And then hopefully that may change the world. And I'm totally paraphrasing. But, you know, he realized that all he can do is change himself. So what you can do is you can stick to your practice. You can stick to, you know, continuing to develop those those aspects of your life that, can shine really brightly. And then you model that behavior, you model these ways of being. And then the people who are around you will hopefully be inspired to do something similar or or find their own way, their own method of introspection that will help them. But you can't force anyone to do anything. And oftentimes, if you like badger them about it, you're going to push them further away. Yeah. So I think modeling it is key. And then just having compassion, like there were moments in all of our lives before we became introspective, where we were like very dense and full of ignorance and, you know, we were causing unintentional harm. So realizing that, you know, people come to this type of work in their own way and at their own time. Yeah. The advice I I give my, my clients when they ask this is modeling to your point, like be it being a leader, right? Like do it through your own practice and rather than telling someone, but I really like your reference and peace around the control and recognizing where your ego is coming into play. So I'm going to take that as a takeaway. Thanks, Diego. (laughs) (laughs) And we're going to have to find that Lao quote somewhere. I know you paraphrase it, but I kind of liked your paraphrasing because you brought it into 21st century. So (laughs) So I'm, I'm here for it, but we'll find it. Diego, you, there's something interesting in, in bringing kind of the, you're talking about the subconscious in your book, you're talking about relationships, you do this amazing job of blending some of the psychological information that we understand with some of the wisdom that 
you have from experience. And one of the things you've said is about compassion, which was what, you know, I was I was going to ask about and how you turn that on. And Brene Brown, who, you know, has researched so much about compassion, has said that the most compassionate people have boundaries. And so, you know, as I'm thinking about relationships and I was reading um, you know, a little bit of of, you know, not finding in, in your book on 140, you say it's not about finding a partner who has flawless emotional maturity. It's about finding someone who can match your level of commitment, not just to the relationship, but commitment to heal themselves so they can love better or see more clearly and have more presence. And when I combine that with boundaries and think about my own journey, I personally have struggled with compassion for specific specific people in my life that I feel like are not doing the work. Mm-hmm. What's the like equation that you found of boundaries, compassion, and like, you know, bringing love for that perfect experience of, of showing up well for your partner or for friends in your life? I, this is a fantastic question that I've never gotten, but it's shining, I think a lot of light on my own life. And just the way that I see, you know, the people that I look up to who are really serious meditators, like, it's true what Brene Brown said, like, they have incredible compassion, but their boundaries are on point. And I don't even think they like think in terms of like, oh, I need to set these boundaries. They're just like living it. And one thing that I see is like, you know, for me personally, I try to like the first thing that I do in the beginning of any year is I set my meditation schedule. Like this is going to be, these are the courses that I'm going to go away to. And this is how often I'm going to do, you know, X number of courses during a year. And when I go away, I'm totally unplugged, totally disconnected from, you know, the online and outside world. I don't have my phone for like 30 days or 10 days or however long the retreat is. But those moments, like I set some pretty hard boundaries that I'm not going to be doing any work during this time. I'm not even going to be communicating with my family, like no one. You know, if there is like a really big emergency, then they can call the meditation center and, and, you know, get a hold of me. But it'd have to be a pretty serious thing that it hasn't happened yet. I think because I've been able to set up those pretty serious boundaries that are totally protecting my practice that helps me become a better human being, that helps me, you know, just like take my evolution into my own hands and be able to develop my own self-love and love for other people. It's because that protection is really real that I can then turn around and like have a lot more compassion for my wife and have a lot more compassion just for like, the simple everyday interactions that I have with other people, whether it's friends, family members, or, you know, if I'm like at a restaurant buying something, or if I'm at the grocery store buying something and just moving through compassion and moving through love, but it literally wouldn't be possible if I was constantly just doing things for others and never nourishing myself, then my nourishment level would just totally deplete and then my mind would get very agitated and tense and I would have very little compassion for others. But it's it's interesting because even to like activate your sense of compassion, like where does your compassion really come from? It comes from exploring your own inner patterns. Like when you see your own patterns very clearly, that pretty naturally supports your compassion for other people because then you're interacting with them and you see them moving through their own difficulties and their own patterning systems in their minds and you're like oh i understand that like i see where they're coming from and i see how hard it is because i've seen how hard it is for myself to not only see these patterns but then move beyond them and that just helps open the heart up a lot but i think it's key like you got to have your boundaries especially especially for the things that are going to nourish you if you're not nourishing yourself it's going to be really hard to be there to show up for others to give to others 
So you have to walk that balance and take really good care of yourself. And then you're going to be able to help plenty of people. This is also something that I hear from from clients is there's this sense like I, I get it, you know, put your oxygen mask on first before you put it on your mm-hmm. child, right? Take care of yourself first. But then there's also this, you know, balance of like, am I being selfish, right? Am I taking too mm-hmm. much time for myself to do these things that are going to nourish me or fill me up and finding the balance there? But it's also just the recognition that you need to do those in order to be there for others, right? And really Maybe it's just experiencing that, which is what will give you the aha of like, oh, I really need to, to do this. Yeah. And I think you can do your own time-based self-analysis. You can like take a look at your life now and try to get a sense of how much more compassionate you are and then take a look at yourself before the healing. Like, how were you? When I take a look at myself before the healing, before I started meditating, my compassion was incredibly limited. It was at like a two, you know, like it's very, very low. And I had all the time in the world and I wasn't taking any time to myself and I was just out there, you know, living life. But when I was able to set time aside for myself, that did help me very naturally and slowly build more compassion. I mean, I have a ways to go with compassion, but it's definitely, you know, it's not as limited as it used to be. Mm-hmm. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Medtronic. Medtronic is dedicated to the pursuit of life-transforming healthcare technology. From artificial intelligence to robotics and beyond, health tech is reinventing what's possible. Every year, Medtronic improves the lives of 74 million people, and we're just getting started. Visit Medtronic.com to learn more. On 165, you share uh, the essentials for growth, which we loved, um, which is proper rest, more learning, consistent honesty, building new habits, letting go of old stories, saying no to old patterns, believing that you can change, saying yes to supportive people, examining your emotional history, finding a practice to heal past pain, making time to build self-awareness. So we, we love this because... It's a list. Who doesn't love a good a good <laughs> list of things to make sure we get done? But I'm also in my mind going, if I read this and I'm not, you know, yet into any of this, I might go, where am I supposed to find the time to do all of this? And it reminds me of, you know, Jackie, when Jackie and I first started coaching Jackie's program, had a list of the way in which we should prioritize. And Jackie, I'm going to have to make you say it because I always forget. But it is that oxygen mask on first. So I want to tee it up, Jackie, with you just sharing those, the way that we sh- we could be or or could most optimal- optimally be prioritizing and then ask you, Diego, how do we make time for all this? Yeah. And, and Leo, what you just brought up is exactly where I was going uh, without saying what it was, but it's, it's basically these five things, right? And we say, well, how do you prioritize these in your life, right? And we, we call them like these healthy priorities, right? So the first one is self and then the second is spouse. The third is work. The fourth is family and the fifth is friends. And so I'll often have people write, okay, in your, you know, top one to five, how do you prioritize this? And a lot of people don't put self first, right? They put their spouse or their family or their work. And and actually the order that I said the list in is what we would advise as, hey, this is a, a, a healthy priority list because you have to take care of yourself in order to take care of your partner and others. You need to work just to 
sustain your family, right? To give mm-hmm. them what they need. And then, you know, the friends, friends come after that, right? And so, you know, it's just one opinion from a program that I did. However, I found it super helpful in explaining to others, you know, why it's, it's so helpful to understand where your parties are so that you could be there for others. That's so valuable. I think um, you want to do, you ultimately want to make a total lifestyle change, but that's not going to happen overnight. And what I see that's really been super valuable in my own life, and I think with a lot of other people as well, is that you want to take a look, you know, like, like for the example, this list, right? If you take a look at the list and you try to pinpoint like which one are you really struggling with, you know, which, which one of these areas is like not your strong suit, then give that specific point your time, like make that your focus, like, you know, literally give it months to be like, okay, if I'm really bad at getting rest, and I work way too hard, like, let me practice rest, let me do this over and over again. So that and I'm not saying like, you know, stop your job. I'm just saying like, you're very intentional about like, taking the time that you need to rest, like within a day, within a weekend, or just setting yourself up in a new way, and then allowing yourself to have these small victories, so that you're not taking on too much at once. And that's why I find it valuable to like, you know, have almost like year long projects. Like I remember when I decided I'm going to meditate every day, like that took, that was a habit that needed so much of my attention for the first year of doing it. And then after doing it for the first year, it became second nature. Like, you know, I didn't really have to think about it too much. Like I knew I'm going to wake up and I'm going to meditate. And then before I go to sleep, I'm going to meditate. And It didn't take, you know, like when you're trying to build a new habit or do something new and you feel like a lot of that like resistance and tension and you're like, have to like work yourself up to do it. Like after you've been doing it over and over again, that tension isn't there. And that's a lot of that is what is the energy burner, you know, that's kind of like drying you up while you're trying to build your new self. But if you focus on just one solid thing and give it your time, then eventually it becomes second nature and you're just doing it, you know? So, um, I would say like pick one or two things, give it your time and set no time limit. And then when you feel like, oh, like this, this is my new life and you pick up something else and you're like, all right, this is the next area I'm going to focus in on. We were talking about compassion before, but we didn't explicitly call out self-compassion. And I think it's a really critical piece here. You know, you had said earlier, you really wanted people to understand what happened while you're in the process of healing, right? How you can make these large leaps, but also take steps back. And there's a lot of self-compassion and grace that comes with that, right? In, In terms of recognizing that you don't just heal overnight or that um, I'm going to wait to heal to then do X, Y, Z. And I just think this is such a beautiful page. And I really want to read it on page 180 because it touches on this point of maybe going backwards for a moment, but then recognizing actually the growth that's there. So you write, for a few days, I lost my way and the past came roaring back covering my eyes while old impulses took their chance to reign over my mind. I let myself get caught in the hurricane of yesterday, sampling my old home, remembering its walls and limits, feeling once again all of the reasons why I decided to move on. The joy was empty and what was once fun fell flat. I could not live comfortably in a home too small for my recent expansion. I felt an immense wave of guilt for taking a few steps back, but then it hit me. 
that re-experiencing these old patterns and ways of being was the motivation I needed to finally close the door and no longer feed the actions that could only lead me in circles. I mean, first off, that line, I could not live comfortably in a home too small for my recent expansion. Like, wow, wow, wow. That just hit me so, so much. But it just shows like we are all a work in progress, right? We are all on this journey. And there are going to be times where we take steps back. And there's also learning and growth in that. Yeah. And actually those moments when you do take a step back, they could be like that big catalyst that helps you take a huge leap forward. And I've had that in my own moments, you know, in my personal journey where I do end up doing something that I had stopped for a while. And then I'm like, oh, actually like this feels so uncomfortable. Like I thought I wanted to do this. Like my cravings kind of like confuse me into thinking this is what I wanted to do. And now that I'm actually doing it, I'm like, oh, wait, this is this is not me. This is like, you know, I actually don't enjoy this. And I think I'm really done with it now. And it, it was funny. I think um, I definitely had that experience when I like stopped, like I stopped drinking alcohol once. And it took like, I think like four or five, six months off of it. And then I started again. And then when I started again, I did it a few times. And I was like, oh, like, this is really not for me. Like, I'm pretty done with this. And then I haven't touched it since. And that was like five years ago. And that's just, you know, speaking from my own journey. But I think it happens to a lot of us where we like take that step back and we're like, oh, right, this isn't for me. I'm actually in a whole new place. And now I can move forward without thinking I'm like missing something. Yeah. And and that's what it was for you. And you don't even need to know what it was that you were experiencing in that moment when you're reading it. But you can take that experience and put it towards yourself and look inward and understand what your thing is. Right. Right. I love it. You're saying like, it almost has to happen for us to grow. We almost have to take a step back and notice our, you know, our initial reactions, right? Our, how we would typically show up in the past to know that it's no longer our home. There's like a, a beauty in that of saying, oh, I don't even really want to be here anymore versus I'm missing out on things that that I thought made me happy, right? It's like, oh, this no longer gives me what I thought I needed. Diego, as you know, you, you move into at the end of the book, you move into a new life. And one of the things that is interesting to me is, you know, we all live in the US, we live in a society that is fairly individualistic. And um, there are other societies around the world that are all about the collective, right? You mm-hmm. put yourself last. Uh, for the sake of the group. I think there's a beautiful mix. There's some, there's a, that point in between where, you know, we're not hyper individualistic and we're not hyper, you know, collectivist and societally focused. And what I think is powerful about the journey of going inward is uh, you heal yourself because you also then become better for everyone else. And so you say on page 241, you wrote this, this piece that I thought was really powerful and also would love to hear you know, your thoughts on how we change as we grow. You said, imagine a world where love guides society. People would not be hungry or in danger. Bodies would feel safe and minds fully nourished. Voices would be heard and differences respected. Disputes would be handled without violence or terror. Everyone would have access to the things they need to flourish. Sharing, listening, telling the truth, not harming each other, being kind to one another, cleaning up after ourselves. Essential lessons we were taught as small children would be taken to heart by adults and woven into a new global culture. I thought this was beautiful. It's 
so idealistic and I love it, right? Because shouldn't we all be striving for this North Star? But can you talk about the healing journey as it shows up from the individual to the collective? Yeah, definitely. Thank you for highlighting that piece. I feel like the task that I give myself in my writing is to just really try to connect that individual personal growth, that individual flourishing to hopefully supporting a future global peace. And I wanted to challenge myself to just live my values and live my ideals and do that kind of imagining work that I feel like gives a lot of people inspiration. But ultimately, from the individual to the collective, it's pretty simple. So like when you start healing your own patterns, and you start getting to know yourself, then you're actually going to start unbinding and undoing a lot of the human habit that was controlling your actions. So human habit being what we formerly used to think of as human nature in the Western world, where we thought of human nature as being greedy, as being fearful, as being hateful. But in reality, what I want to position is, and this is going to be, I'm working on a third book, and it's going to be a lot of this like transition from human habit to human nature. We can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) But when you start dealing with that human habit, like basically all these like survivalist tendencies that we've developed evolutionarily and from our own, you know, survival of being children to being teenagers to being adults, fear and greed, you know, they do have this, these protective qualities. But if you want to thrive, then you actually need to figure out how to live from a place of love. And when you deal with these patterns and start letting them go and start unbinding them, start releasing all these, you know, this heavy energy that you've been carrying from the past into the present, your natural human nature just starts bubbling up to the surface, just starts flowing pretty brightly. And I think a lot of people experience this, and you see this pretty commonly throughout a lot of different introspective traditions, that when you go inward, people come out so much more loving, so much more compassionate, so much more kind, and they also come out with this really incredible creativity. And I think it's that sort of creativity that we can use in this new energy to look at life boldly and bravely and objectively and look at old problems with new solutions, like that type of power that will be activated through our healing is going to help us build a real structural compassion, you know, because we have a lot of systems of harm, systems that just cause intentional and unintentional harm. But I think we can replace those systems with compassionate systems that are trying to support people's flourishing. And that's one of the, you know, things I wanted to do with that piece was just like, imagine if the world was literally led by love and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you should be, you know, allow yourself to be idealistic because that's what people do all the time. Like that's why the world of 2021 is not the world of 1850. You know, that's why the world has changed. So if you, I hope the world is radically different in a very positive way when, you know, hopefully we talk again in 2075 or 2065 and we're, you know, all old together and stuff, but we're like, yeah, I'm glad that we spoke up and that we said we can build a better world. And you know what? We should lift up and expand our idea of human rights so that we can support people and people aren't suffering as much. You know, if we can decrease human suffering, we will increase global happiness. So let's just do it. 
Diego, we're taking that as an open invitation to talk to you until we're old. (laughs) I was going to say, I don't think there's anything else that we can say to to top that off. And I hope in 2065, you are on at least your 25th book and we have interviewed you on all of them. So that's a request to the universe from me and Leah. (laughs) That would be so fun. I would love that. Awesome. Well, Diego, this was, as always, fantastic. So many takeaways we we highly encourage you know if you're listening and you're curious grab the book and just open it uh what what we love about this book and what we loved about inward i will say too is there isn't always an ask that you go from beginning to end so if you're curious about the book you can buy it and open it up and not feel like you have to you know read it from start to finish to get something from it so diego i think you've done that beautifully it it, it does feel like the bible like jackie said <laughs> so thank you diego for for being here for you know talking with us and sharing your wisdom we can't wait to see what you continue to do in the world and and to be there with you thank you so much it's honestly such a joy to hang out the three of us and I hope Clarity and Connection serves you well. It's a no pressure book. So if you want to read a few pages a day, go for it. It's really just meant to be a companion, you know, for your journey, you know, whichever direction that you're going in, whatever it is that you need to heal, hopefully helps you build a little bit of self-awareness. Thank you so much, Diego. This was great. Thank you too. All right, listeners, thanks for joining us. You can find more of In the Arena on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Audible. And we will see you all next time. Thanks for joining us on the journey. Have a great day, everyone. 